morning, everyone. Church of God, although God led us both there, and that's where we found each other, and uh, on September 1st, it'll be 39 years that she's been putting up with me, and I'm very thankful for that. She's earning her points in heaven. I always tell people putting up with me, so God is good, and I'm thankful, but it's always good to be back home in the state of Ohio. Where we live is about five minutes away from Michigan State University. And the only redeeming part of that is that they hate Michigan as much as I do. And so, <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, but it's good to be home and it's good to be back here. You don't know what a joy it brings to me to hear you singing the songs of Zion. Uh, we've gotten to the point in so many of our churches where they have lost touch with the hymns and uh, they are missing some significant power I think in the church because the hymns teach the doctrine of God's word and they, they help to keep you grounded in what's important. And so when we sing songs like there's coming a day, uh, and you know, what a day that will be, what an awesome, awesome sharing of God's word. As a matter of fact, it started off well because the musicians were playing an old Church of God song, Once Again We Come to the house of God, to unite in songs of praise, to extol with joy our Redeemer's name, and to tell his works and ways. Amen. It's great to be here. Tony, thanks so much for inviting me again, and it's just good to share with you. I, I believe I have a message from the Lord, and I'm going to share it with you. Uh, you know, he said, I, I kick it off well, I'll try my best, and I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will take over. But if not, the bar will be set so low that everybody else coming this weekend will be able to raise that bar and, and take it on to the glory of God's privilege. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask that you turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. And I'm going to share with you from the first 18 verses of that chapter, 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 18, and I'm going to share it with you from the New Living Translation, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel what Elijah had done and that he had slaughtered the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods also kill me if by this time tomorrow I have failed to take your life like those whom you have killed. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. 
Then he went on alone into the desert, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and saw some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, for there is a long journey ahead of you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I alone am left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him, and Elijah stood there. The Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord all God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I alone am left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be the king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from abel Mahola to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed to Baal or kissed him. Rekindling our passion. Rekindling our passion. Ran across a couple of very brief little vignettes that really impacted me. The first one was written in a sermon uh, by a, a preacher by the name of Tim Zagali. Uh, it was entitled An Encounter with God. He said, there were a group of people standing out a very, outside of a very large and ornate cathedral in Europe, and they were admiring the very fine craftsmanship, the detail work, the care and the love that seemed to be evident in the building, such a fine place to worship a loving God. One of the men turned to another in the group and said, why can't we build such churches like this today? Why can't we build with such pride and such craftsmanship and love today? And the other man replied, they had convictions, we have opinions. Mm -hmm. 
And then an illustration by a gentleman named Terry Laughlin on Christian passion entitled Denying Oneself. And he said, there is a tale of the great English actor MacReady. MacReady was once asked by a preacher, what is the difference between you and me? You see the actor appeared before crowds night after night proclaiming fiction and people listened with delight. The preacher every week, spoke of the essentials and the unchanged truths of God, yet most, excuse me, yet most listened with no passion upon their hearts. And he asked MacReady why, and he said, I present fiction as though it were true. You present truth as though it were fiction. Rekindling our passion. It's always been interesting to me to come to this 19th chapter of 1 Kings because in the 18th chapter of 1 Kings, and actually the chapter leading up to that, we see Elijah, the prophet of God, who is doing some mighty powerful things on behalf of God. The first thing he does, well, there's several things. He uh, helped a widow who had been in Zarephath who uh, when the drought came on the land, he was able to stay with her and her son and bless them in such a way that they had provisions all throughout that drought. But guess what? The drought happened because he proclaimed it. He said, let it not rain for three and a half years. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. It got so bad in Israel that Ahab literally called him the troubler of Israel. And then when Eli uh, Ahab met Elijah, he challenged him to bring all the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth up to the mountain and they would have this contest to see whose God would answer with fire and burn up the offering. And so they had this display and, and Baal's prophets were there and they put their offering there and they called on Baal all day and all afternoon and, and Elijah started mocking him saying, hey, maybe he's asleep or he's gone on a trip or whatever. And these guys are cutting themselves and, and crying out to Baal all day long with no results. And then I, uh, Elijah repaired the altar of God there and he put his offering there and he said, take three large uh, things of water and pour water on the offering all the way. It, it was so much water, it was literally pouring into the drench around the altar. And then Elijah quietly prayed, and God sent fire down and burned up the offering and the altar and everything. And then they killed all the prophets of Baal that were there 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Ashtoreth, killed them all. I mean, what a mighty victory! And then he told Elijah, or Ahab, you better start running because it's going to start raining again. And it did indeed start raining. And then he girded up his loins and ran all the way ahead of Ahab to get to, uh, the, to where Ahab was, only to get there. And when the word reached Jezebel, the, the king's wife, Ahab's wife, she said, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. So here's this man who had done all of these mighty things for God, calling, telling the rain to stop, starting the rain up, you know, calling fire down from heaven. And he gets a threat from this woman and he literally runs for his life. He sits down under a broom tree and he says, God, I'm done. You might as well take my life. Wow. And then God has an angel go feed him twice and say, you need to get up and, and, and run on the strength of that. And literally, he ran on the strength of that meal, those two meals, for 40 days and 40 nights. 
And I'm looking at my midsection, and I'm thinking, all right, I need some of that angel food. I probably could stand to run 40 days and 40 nights and lose a little bit of this midsection. But 40 days and 40 nights, he runs all the way to the mountain of God, and he's there, and God asked him this interesting question, Elijah, what are you doing here? He gives that answer, Lord, you know, they, they've killed all your prophets. I'm alone. I'm the only one left. We've walked away from your word, and, and now they're trying to kill me too. I think we can sometimes find ourselves like Elijah, can't we? Burdened, frustrated, bewildered, fearful, discouraged, maybe more, maybe worse. We're daily confronted with challenges and issues in the culture and sadly, in the church around us these days, we're confronted with these things that can have us scratching our heads and wondering, how did things get like this, this bad, so fast? We can point to victories that we have had like Elijah. But we just can't seem to grasp how things got so bad around us this fast. People like me that are in my age group, and there's at least a couple of you here that are there or a little, little, maybe a year or two past that. We're living in a world that doesn't make any sense. We're living in, and, and we're seeing things that people are celebrating that they used to crawl under rocks about when we were growing up. We can find ourselves literally ready to toss in the towel and do something else. As a state pastor, I'm the state pastor for the Church of God in Michigan, the other Anderson Church of God. And I am impacted by the reports that I read about pastors in the church and the state of pastors in the church. Do you know for the last several years, a thousand pastors a month are leaving the ministry? They're not just changing churches. They are leaving the ministry, doing something totally different. It boils down to a matter of passion, the passion that we had when first we started to seek the Lord. It's amazing that we sang that song, I'm glad I counted the cost. When you first come to Christ, there's something that happens when you think about how excited you were when you discovered that Jesus died on the cross for you and he paid the price for your sins on the cross of Calvary. There's an excitement there. Do you remember how impacted you were when someone helped you to clearly understand that every sin that you had ever committed was forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ? I don't know about you, but I was a mighty happy Cleveland Brown and Ohio State Buckeye fan when I heard that my sins were washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you remember how you longed to share with others the liberty that you had experienced when first you started to seek the Lord? Do you remember how wonderful it was to be in church and to hear the songs of Zion and hear the word proclaimed so clearly and so powerfully and for the first time it made sense to you? Do you remember the, the enthusiasm that you had about everything Christian? And you were ready to go save the world because of what God had done for you. The reality is, 
that life can happen fast. Stuff happens. Things come your way. Troubles come. Struggles come. Burdens come. Temptations come our way. You know, guess what? Just because you're a Christian, it doesn't immune you from the things that happen in this culture. We even have this nature in us called a sin nature that Paul tells us in Galatians 5 Every day we wake up and we're not free from this battle of the flesh versus the spirit. He says you have to walk in the spirit or you will fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For they're set against each other. We have that and we have to deal with it every day. And the reality is sometimes our passion, our excitement, our zeal can be a little uh, wane just a little bit. Almost like your cell phone when you've been on it all day long and you realize that a thing gives you that little warning that your battery is low. What do you do? You plug it in and charge it up. Well, I want to examine Elijah's experience on the mountain here and extract from it three aspects of restored passion in his life that can make a difference for us not only in our lives, but in our families and in the church. Because the church needs to restore its passion in our time. The first of these is a sense of refreshing. You know, Elijah had been ministering powerfully. I've already shared what he did. And, and after, after this, this threat from this woman who was the queen sends him running, ready to totally give up. He literally is just laying down under a broom tree saying, God, you might as well take my life. The letdown after ministry success can be real. It can be palpable. If you've ever pastored, you know so there are some times when you have great things that happen. It's a revival or you know, Christmas celebration or an Easter celebration, and you pump all this excitement and energy and enthusiasm into it, and when it's over, everybody goes, ah. And that's when the devil gets real busy. And you can get discouraged. You can get frustrated. You can get weary. And the least little attack after all of this glory can send you off somewhere that you never thought you would be. And he needed to be refreshed. He's literally after this great victory on the mountain with all the prophets and God sent fire, he literally is ready to give up, and God sent an angel to refresh him. Fixed a meal for him, twice. And then he sent him on this long run for attack, from the attack. God knows how to supernaturally refresh us. Body, mind, and spirit. He knows how to remove the distractions that have distracted us. He knows how to give us strength in the middle of those temptations when you didn't think you could stand up under the temptation. God has a way of escape for you in the middle of that temptation. Jesus Christ's encouragement. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and you will find rest for your souls. You know, that's still just as pertinent today as it was when Jesus said it nearly 2,000 years ago. His yoke is still easy. 
His burden is still light. And he is able to refresh you. You know, there is something that happens in us when we realize even in the midst of our struggles how much God loves us and how he has a way in the toughest times to just do something that will lighten your spirit. Many years ago, before I, uh, we were living at that time in Maryland, my daughter was about 18 months old. My wife was pregnant with my son. And we, I took her back to Akron to spend a few days with her mom because I was in Boston on business. I was in the computer industry at that time. And we had this big event in Boston, and I was up there with some customers. And so my wife calls me in the middle of this trip and says my daughter had eaten some of my father-in-law's diabetes medicine. And she was on her way with her to Children's Hospital in Akron. Great hospital, by the way. And so I had to, you know, get things together and, and get my customers squared away and then get on an airplane, flew to Cleveland, rented a car, drove to Akron. I got there about 1.30 in the morning, really tired. And my daughter is in this hospital, and they're giving her these charcoal IVs so that they could flush her body out of all the stuff that was in this medication. And they kept coming by to test her blood sugar about every hour or so. And every time they did, they would stick a little needle in her pin in her hand, and she'd go, oh, no, and start crying and all of that. And, and this is all night long. And they have them in these like, almost like little cages so that they can't fall out of the bed. And this is like a miserable night for her. And obviously when your child, your 18-month-old child is miserable, you're not sleeping either. And so about 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, I said, you know what, I, I really need some coffee. And so I, I went and went to McDonald's, and I got some coffee and, and something for my wife and, and I, and, and she couldn't, you know, eat that because they, you know, watching her blood sugar and all of that. And I walk in the room with this bag of McDonald's in my hand, and my daughter, who sucked her thumb at the time, sits up in the bed, pops her thumb out of her mouth and says, French fries? The Lord knew we needed something like that in the midst of that situation that raised the mood, lightened our spirits, and let us know that God is in charge of this thing here. The devil wants you to think that he's in charge, but he, you need to know that God is in charge. I don't care what it looks like. He is still on the throne. There is nothing or no one that has thwarted the power of Jesus Christ because all power is in his hands and this earth is his footstool. There's nothing too hard for our God. And in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your weariness, in the midst of your grief, in the midst of your struggles, God has a way of refreshing your spirit. And you need to trust him in that. Let me give you a remedy just in case you're going through something and you're saying, I don't know if it's going to get any better. Let me just tell you, start reciting some of the Psalms. You know, and just let the devil know that you know, though God slay me, I'm going to trust him, just like Job said. There's something that happens not only to you, but a devil. It's a frustrating thing when the devil's hit you with his best weapons and you still, through all of that, you could be broken down, busted, and disgusted. But when you get in your spirit that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. There's something that frustrates a devil when you're willing to stand with God in the midst of your trials and tribulations. And you say something like, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord and the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. There's something that frustrates a devil when And you're able to praise the Lord and honor the Lord and glorify his name and lift him up. And oh, don't sing a song of Zion. Don't start talking about the blood that gives me strength from day to day will never lose its power. Can you imagine how frustrating that is to a devil when he's hit you with your best shot? He thought he had you knocked out. Yeah, your knees might have buckled. But when you realize that God is my strength, God is my helper, God is is the one who keeps me day by day. He wakes me up in the morning, puts sense in my head, puts strength in my limbs so I can move about. It's God that has helped me. When you can stand up and let the devil know I'm going to praise him nonetheless, it's got to be frustrating to him. And praise God. I love to frustrate the devil because I trust Jesus Christ with my whole life. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Refreshing. Elijah was wiped out. And God refreshed him and gave him the strength to literally run for 40 days to get to the mountain of God. He needed to go somewhere where God could get up close and personal with him. Sometimes we're at that place where we need God to get up close and personal with us because he knows us intimately, uniquely from the inside out. Why do I know that? Because his spirit lives within us. The Holy Spirit can see what's in you even when you don't know what's in yourself. And he knows us well. Let God refresh you. The second thing that happens is that God began to refocus Elijah. He asked him a powerful question. What are you doing here, Elijah? You need to understand the nature of that question is not, what are you doing on this mountain? God told him to go to the mountain. God was wondering, why are you in the state that you are in, given the power that I have put in you? Why did you let these circumstances get you to the point where you were ready to quit when some woman that doesn't have the power that she thinks she has threatened your life? Why are you ready to throw in the towel and give up? What are you doing here, Elijah? And he tells this story, you know, about uh, they've walked away from your laws and your covenants and they've killed your prophets and I'm the only one left. Can't you just hear that fiddle in the background? I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. God says, just go stand at the mouth of the cave. And a fire, or an earthquake, a fire, windstorm, all of these demonstrations of God's power and glory as he passed by. But the scripture said God is not in any of those things. Said he just passed by. That'll let you know how awesome God is because he just passes by when storms happen to tear up mountains. 
When he just passes by, earthquakes happen that disturb the ground. When he just passes by, fires happen. That's in his wake. That's behind him as he passes by. God is not in any of those. But then there is this still, small voice. This quiet whispering. And immediately, Elijah knew that God was there. And he was in that still, small voice. That's the Holy Spirit. What are you doing here, Elijah? He asks him the same question. He gives the same answer. Sometimes you don't know what to say, and you just keep repeating the same thing over and over again. Didn't work the first time, didn't work any better the second time. Because he needed to be refocused. God needed Elijah to look beyond the spectacle to come in contact with the Spirit. Not the wind, not the earthquake, not the fire, but the still, small voice. You know, when I see that and I hear that question, the thought hit me that that question could be asked of the church in our time. What are you doing here, church? We are in a time where church groups are splitting Because they're talking about ordaining people who live the alphabet soup. LGBTQIA++++, there'll be 15 more this time next year. And churches who name the name of Jesus Christ are splitting because people are saying we have to do that to demonstrate the love of God. I'm scratching another bald spot in my almost all bald head and I'm saying... Wait a minute, love was demonstrated on the cross when Jesus left his home in glory, came down and took on a robe of flesh and was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He shed his blood so that sin could be washed away forever. He died in our place. If that's not love, there is no love. And to help people believe that you can bring any old kind of lifestyle in here and it's okay with God is not love. That's like telling your kids it's okay to take your little uh, toys and play in the middle of I-270. In the middle of rush hour. Because I don't want to hurt your feelings. I want to love you so go do that. That would be crazy. And it's crazy to ignore the price that God has paid because you're afraid to hurt somebody's feelings. Guess what? The church is a feeling hurting place sometimes because we are countercultural. The culture can do everything they want. They can indoctrinate kids. But we need to stand firm on the pure, unadulterated word of the living God who came from heaven with the word of truth and brought it to us so that we can live this truth out. What are you doing here, church? What are you doing here, Elijah? The refocusing takes us right back to what God told us to do in the first place. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But as you go, 
Help people to know that you love the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And you love your neighbor as yourself. They need to know that that's the mission that the church has. It's not to compromise with the culture, but it's to call people out of a culture of darkness that will lead to a light, an eternity of destruction into an eternity of everlasting life and the joy and presence of being with the Lord Jesus Christ. What we do to accomplish them is just the methods. And they're different for every church. But God is able to cause the methods that he gives each church to use to have the power it needs to save the people who God is calling to him. And we need to be refocused on the mission of the church. And as individuals, we need to be refocused on the mission of Christ and look above the circumstances. That's why the Psalms would say things like, I will look unto the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Refresh. God wants to refresh us. Refocus. God wants to refocus us on the mission that he has given us to make disciples in the name of Jesus Christ. And people need to know that we are called to live a life of holiness. You know, I I think about brides when they get measured for the dress. They do that a few weeks in advance because it takes time to make a wedding dress. And if you can always tell someone who's going to be a bride because when they go out to eat, everybody else is hitting the buffet and, I mean, they're knocking it out and this bride's got like this little small plate nibbling on stuff because she knows that she's got to fit in the dress. Well, the church is considered the bride of Christ. And when we come to the marriage supper of the Lamb, the scripture says that we will be clothed in white garments without spot or wrinkle, the dress. And sin will not fit in the dress. I don't care what it looks like. We need to fit in the dress. God wants to refocus us so that the church could help people know that there's life beyond the grave with the Lord. Refreshing, refocusing, finally restoring. After this, God wants to restore Elijah. You see, Elijah was a prophet. He wasn't meant to lay under a broom tree and give up. He was a prophet. So God had to refresh him. God had to refocus him. Now God has to restore him. And so God says to him, go and anoint Hazael to be the king of Aram. Now, at that time, Ben-Hadad was the king of Aram, and he was was wreaking havoc. Go and anoint Jehu to be the king of Israel. And at that time, Ahab was the king of Israel, and Jezebel was his wife, and he was wreaking havoc. And then go anoint Elisha to replace you. In other words, Elijah, you're a prophet, and you got work to do. Get back to work. Just keep working. Now, you would look at that story and think that all of this happened quickly. He did go and do all of that anointing. But it was some time before, between then and when God took him to heaven in a fiery chariot. It's not like God said, go do that because you're done. God is saying, no, go do that 
Because you've got work to do. And God has called us to work. And he has a way of restoring, recharging our batteries with the passion that he gave us at the first. And if you read the story of Elisha, when he goes from there, he does all this anointing. And then he goes and meets with Elisha. And he begins to anoint him and transfer this ministry to him. But he's still got the power. And he rolls up his, his mantle and strikes the water and the water parts. And he and Elisha walk through on dry ground. He's still doing all kinds of great stuff. And at some time, God put him back to work at what he gave him to do in the first place. And the challenge that we have before Elijah and us is do we really believe that God has called us to do what we're going to do? Do you really believe God has called you? Because if he has, God called you knowing the circumstances you'd be dealing with. God knew what would happen in your life. All your days of your life are written in his book before one of them is spent, as Psalm 139 tells us. So God knew what would happen to Elijah before it happened. Just like he knows in our lives what you're dealing with. There's nothing that's taken God by surprise. And there's nothing that happens to us, I don't care how dark it looks, that has God up in heaven just wringing his hand saying, oh me, I don't know what I'm going to do. Nothing. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So do you believe God? And are you willing to allow God to rekindle the flame of your passion to serve him? Do we want him to rekindle the passion, to recommit to the ministries that he's called us to do, to his church, to liberate people from sin and death so that they may find eternal life in him? That's what he called us to do. And guess what? He's prepared the future for his church. And he's prepared a way for each and every one of us in his church. God has given us a compelling vision. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Compelling vision, which will require passion for the ministry that he's given us because we need to be able to pass it on to the generations that follow. And they need to see and feel our passion. Today marks the beginning of the rest of our lives. Today. And the future of his great church. Where we have been is only important as a reminder of the faithfulness, the goodness, the love, and the long-suffering of our God. God wants us to redevelop the excitement of a little child running down the steps on Christmas morning as it relates to his ministry where he has planted us. If you've allowed anyone or anything to cause your excitement and the flame of your passion to wane or go out, it's time for you to allow God to rekindle it so that it can burn again for him and for his church. His awesome promises are great toward us. There's a songwriter that paraphrased the words of Isaiah 42 when he says, I will make the darkness light before you. What's wrong, I'll make it right before you. All thy battles I will fight before you and the high place 
I'll bring down. With an everlasting love, I'll love thee. Though with trials deep and sure, I'll prove thee, but there's nothing that can hurt or move thee. And the high place, I'll bring down. Although Satan in his rage would tear thee, and with all his winning arts would snare thee, even down to thine own age I'll bear thee, and the high place I'll bring down. I will make the darkness light before thee, I will make the crooked straight before thee. I will spread my wings protecting o'er thee, and the high place I'll bring down. When thou walkest by the way, I'll lead thee. On the fatness of the land, I'll feed thee. And a mansion in the sky, I'll deed thee. And the high place, I'll bring down. That's God's promise to us. He will take care of us. And he'll take care of everything that comes against us. But what he wants to with us is just to keep right on stepping with our eyes on Jesus and trusting him to firm up the ground beneath our feet. God's promise is that he will be with us. And so our response needs to be the testimony of Charles Wesley who said, a charge to keep I have, a God to glorify, a never dying soul to save and fitted for the sky to serve this present age is my calling to fulfill. And may it all my powers engage to do my master's will. God is calling us to be rekindled, refreshed, our passion restored, burning from the awesome fire of the passion that he's put inside of us through the presence of his Holy Spirit because he has work for us to do. The world around us is dark, but we shine the light of Jesus Christ and the darkness can't overcome it. We need not to be ashamed and afraid to shine the light. Shine the light of Christ and watch what he will do. Amen? Bow your heads with me if you will. I want to encourage you to come and pray. Come and pray. Because I know how it can be sometimes. Life can be hard. Maybe you're dealing with something that's been overwhelming. Maybe you've gotten so busy that your devotion life isn't what it used to be, and because of that, you've kind of gotten frustrated, discouraged, distracted, or what some of the other Ds, disappointed, disillusioned, whatever. And they've derailed you, and you need God to just refresh you. You need God to refocus you. You need God to redeploy you. I want to call you to prayer. If you're dealing with anything like that and you just need God to encourage you today, he wants to encourage you. But sometimes you got to walk a walk of faith that says, God, I am needing you to touch me today. You don't have to run for 40 days on two meals, but you can walk an aisle and come to an altar and pray and say, God, would you meet me here? Because I need refreshing. I need refocusing. I need restoring. I need to be rekindled today. Would you let God do it? He wants to meet you here.
Don't be afraid to walk an aisle. Nobody's, you know, people might look at you, but some of the ones looking at you, you might be thinking about, might be the ones that also need to come up and pray as well. God is calling you and touching your heart and saying you need to be refreshed, refocused, restored. Would you come and do that? Father, thank you. Thank you for the lessons that we learned from Elijah's experience. And Lord, we thank you for the church and how you have called us into the church of the living God. Lord, today I pray for any who are here who are dealing with anything that you would indeed let this be a day of refreshing, a day of refocusing, a day of restoring, that they might have their passion rekindled through the power of your Holy Spirit. Let everyone know, Lord, there's nothing too hard for you. No matter how heavy, how hard it is, it's not too hard for you. And you want to meet us here. Lord, I pray there may be some here who don't know you as Savior and Lord. Let this be the day of salvation for them. Maybe some that have fallen back from their walk with you. Let this be a day of restoration. Whatever is needed. Lord, would you do it? mighty name of Jesus Christ, we thank you and pray. Amen. Glory to God.